The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great plan of redemption. All praise and glory and honor goes to you. We thank you for your Son, our Redeemer, our Lord, whose atonement has given us such an eternal hope. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit, who was sent to abide in us, to be our teacher, our helper, and our counselor. Heavenly Father, teach us your commandments and ordinances, that we might demonstrate our love to you through our obedience to your ways. Pity us as a father pities his child, correcting us where needed. And that's a big job for some of us. Build your hedge of protection around us so that we may have a safe place where we can focus on the ramus of scriptures, those words that God has for us that applies directly for us and for our time. Wash us with your word that we might be presented to the Lord as the spotless bride of Christ. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and through the blood that he shed for us. Amen. Okay, we, we got, we got to do a little bit of a review here. We're talking really basically about the Trinity, uh, and, and, anyway, we're talking about the Trinity. So we have a definition at the top there of your page. Uh, the Trinity is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are equally God. Yet they are diverse in perspective, motivation, roles, gifts, etc. They work together in unity and harmony towards a common goal. Okay, and they willingly submit to a structure of authority where the power of authority is balanced with the power of influence. Any questions on that? Good. Okay, Trinity is a pattern. It is a template. Do you understand what a template is? It's, it's a, an eternal design that we need to follow. Come on in. It is actually a blueprint for life. It is a divine plan. So... Marriage is supposed to um, (coughs) mimic the Trinity, okay? In marriage, we have two persons of diverse, they're diverse in perspective, motivation, and skills, working in together in unity towards the common coal, where its participants willingly submit to a structure of authority, where the power of authority is balanced with the power of influence. So, when something goes wrong, it's the husband's fault, and the wife can say, I told you so. Uh, that's not quite exactly right, okay? Um, we have the husband and wife together seeking the Lord God Almighty, and we need to submit to His will. So, the husband and the wife listens to God's plan or gives specific instructions to us about what needs to happen. And then the husband 
needs to be aware of the wife's concerns. So you see, you have the power of authority, or a power of command, from the Lord God Almighty, but you also have the power of influence. Husbands, you have the power of influence because the wife has cautions, and she will tell you her cautions. There is, there is great uh, wisdom in listening to the counsel of your wife. This happened, you know, I want you to know that uh, we, we have made mistakes, Beth and I, and there has been times that we, we've learned to grow, okay? There was a time that we would argue a lot, and I can't remember what the arguments were about, but I think it had to do with about raising children, I think, for one thing. Do you remember any of the... I'm a mercy, he's a prophet, that says it all. <laughs> I'm authoritarian, and she is merciful, you know, it just doesn't work. So we always have an argument, and the argument would always end up with us saying a statement. But you don't understand. You don't understand. So we were having this argument one day, and my wife said to me, we were getting into it, and she said, you don't understand. And I sat back and I said, you're absolutely right. I do not understand. I don't understand her, and she doesn't understand me. And for the first time in our marriage, we started to listen to each other. Not that we're agreeing with each other, but we listen to each other and we let God be God. Okay, children are the heritage of the Lord anyway. It's the Lord that are raising the kids. And he saw in his wisdom, and we don't see it, that he gave our children this couple to raise them. And we are dependent on the Lord to raise these kids correctly. We don't agree, but it, it all works together. Uh, listening. I can't uh, emphasize the importance about listening to the counsel of your, uh, of your wife. Several years ago, we got, uh, I got into a trap. I made a big mistake. I got involved with certified solar. Anybody here got involved with certified solar? Okay, we're going to put up a solar unit. I think solar is a great idea. So we're going to get involved. We invested $35,000 in certified solar. And we had a bank note, and it was collecting interest. And a year went by, and two years went by, and we were getting awfully worried. But I remember when we were signing that contract, my wife says, I don't know. I don't think this is a very good idea. This is not a good idea. And I said, but look, at this is a way of the future. I said, we're going to, you know, hydro rates are only going up. I had all these reasons, and they were really smart reasons why we should go to this solar certified solar. I didn't listen to my wife when we signed the contract. And we were in tr- we were worried for two years because we didn't listen to the counsel of my wife because I didn't listen to her. Um, where am I going now? Well, the, how it turned out was uh, uh, 
there was no room on the grid for it, and the government sort of reneged and we cut down all all the uh, uh, options how we could get uh, solar energy on our farms. We didn't have the capacity on the grid, so the government came in and it disappeared. Certified Solar went bankrupt. So sort of us with the debt. And then one day, out of the blue, we got a letter from the Toronto Dominion Bank saying that our debt had been paid. We don't know by whom, but we're assuming it was the government. So, not a good thing. Anyway, that's just a warning. Like, husbands and wife, you are different. Uh, last week, I said something very controversial. I, I said, uh, so, by the way, the uh, disclaimer that I gave last week applies for this week also. Okay. Hmm? I know. Anyway, it's fun. Um, I said, there's a difference between men and women. And I said, you know how it says in Genesis chapter 1, he says, we'll make man in our image. So he created man in our image. Male and female, he created them. I suggested that we have our identity in Jesus Christ. We are made in the image of Jesus Christ. And the woman is made in the likeness of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is a really interesting guy. How, how do you, how does, Paul's not married, but how do you feel about Paul? Some people think he's a real chauvinist. No. So, in chapter 11, verse 7, we're talking about the issue is, should a woman wear uh, a covering in her head in church? And Paul says this, For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and the glory of God. Then he says this, But the woman is the glory of man. Now, if you're reading that, what are you thinking? Don't you think the woman is created in the image of God too as well? But Paul is specifically saying the man is created in the image of God and the woman is the glory of man. And where he's getting off is he's looking not at chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, but on Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God, or Yahweh, the I Am, formed the man from the dust of the ground and he made an image of himself, and he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so how was the woman created then? She was taken from the side of man, and a, a rib of man, and she was formed from the rib of man. So she is the glory of man. I don't know why it is, but when you're speaking, your mouth goes dry. I don't understand that. Does that happen to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand it. But anyway, so reading on, for man does not originate from woman, but woman for man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Okay, you got the idea that... Uh, uh, so you see, there's man and woman. There is, he equates, there's a difference. And then we turn to Ephesians chapter 5. 
You know what first you know what I'm talking about here, don't you? Here we have Paul identifying man with Christ and the church. And he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body... For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is great, but I am speaking in reference to Christ in the church. Uh, you get the idea that man and wife is to become one, just like the Trinity, where you have three members of the Trinity are one. The husband and wife is to become one. Husband, wife, and God. You can't, have, you can't have a proper marriage unless God is included in that. You have, to have, uh, you have to have devotion to God, and He is the head. So you see the chain of command? God the Father, God, God the Trinity, Man and the wife, they become one. That is the uh, the model or the form of, for marriage. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of things I should be saying at this time, and I'm going to go home today, and I'm going to say, I wish I had said this. It's just the way it is. Am I explaining this correctly? Are, are, are you getting it? Yeah, it's it, it's it, Paul says it's a mystery. Okay, and there's a difference between a man and a woman. You know, at the end of Ephesians 5, he gives instructions to the man and the woman. And you know what instructions he gives the man? He says, love or cherish your wife. And you know what he gives, you know what his instruction is to the wife is? It says, to respect and honor your husband. See, clearly, she has the more difficult, difficult task. Uh, different perspectives, okay? And we need to look at each other in that way. Uh, organization, I tell you. So, Christ is the model for the husband, and that's clear in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. He is supposed to love his wife and honor her. He is to uh, wash her with the word. Yeah, this is what I wanted to tell you about. It's so important that you have that time in the word of God. In the last several years, Beth and I have been doing that. We get up in the morning and we read. Okay? 
And we read different parts of Scripture. She's in another book. I'm in another book. And we come to a point and we share what we're learning or what we, we understand. And I have to tell you that Beth asks a lot of questions. And I end up, like, looking into air, blinking. Like, she brings up all these things that I haven't thought about before. And I know how much I don't know. Because, thanks you, thank you very much. And then she says, listen, you're you're, you're the man, you should know this. And I said, you're right, I should, but I don't. But that's how you work together. You got the man, you, you get together and you share scriptures together. I, if you're just reading the word, you know, if you're just reading the word by yourself, you go into, you know, you focus on what you want to focus on. But if you just come to church, if you talk to other people, if you communicate with other people and share what you're learning, then you learn that much more. Like it's exponential, your, your understanding of God's word. Anyway, so Christ, uh, the Trinity is the model for marriage. The Trinity is also the model for the church. The same thing applies. You have uh, a body of believers, different, ta- different giftings, different uh, personalities, all coming together. And we willingly su- submit to the authority of God our Father and through the eldership of the church. And the eldership of the church has to know, he has to be in tune with God and to understand, but he also has to be in tune with his congregation and what he's think, what they're thinking and where they are and, and work with them. It's, it, it's a unity. Marriage is a unity. Uh, same idea. And then you can apply this whole principle of Trinity to every area of life. To government. Government, when our countries were formed, like we were all on the same page. And, uh, you know, we were under God, for one thing. And we're, uh, you know, trying to live according to God's standards. And uh, diverse people working together, building a nation. What happened? Do you know there's a law right now that uh, Trudeau wants to pass a law that you will not be able to hire students and get government grants? It's already. It's in effect already. It's in effect already. You cannot do because you don't click this box that says we believe that in the uh, we do not believe in the sanctity of life. No, we we accept the abortion policy of our country. This this is tyranny. This is not. This is the Gentile things where they lorded over us. This is not unity. This is, di- this is divisive. Anyway, we're going to go on. What time are we at? Good. So just in review, we were talking about God the Spirit specifically <laughs> last week, and we looked at it in, in Genesis 1, verse 2, we looked at the Spirit of God moved to birth moved over the surface of the water. And actually the word there is to brood. And if you've ever been raised on the farm, you see a mother hen brooding over her chicks, and it's, it's fussing with them, it's studying, it's worrying, it's turning the eggs, it's protecting, it's covering. Okay, that's the idea of brooding. Uh, then we looked into John 14, and we looked at the word paraclete. It says, I will send you a helper 
or a paraclete or an advocate. He pictures a lawyer representing your point of view in a law, in a court of law. The helper is someone who's got you back, and the uh, uh, what else? The advocate. Comforter, comforter, intercessor. Here it is. The spirit of the truth comes into it. And who's the spirit of truth? Who's the Holy Spirit given to? The church of God. Here we have this whole passage is about the betrothal covenant that he makes with, <coughs> Jesus Christ makes with the church. Okay, and yeah, yeah, it's given specifically to the church. Okay, so we see in John 14, he teaches all things. He brings to remembrance the words that Christ has taught them. He, in verse 15, in chapter 15, 26, he bears witness to Christ. In 16, verse 8, he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and guides you into all truth. Uh, he glorifies the Savior. In 16, verse, chapter 16, verse 13, he discloses to you, he discloses to you the things that are to come. Okay? You know, we have a book that tells us our future. Uh, and, you know, we need to be looking at the future. What's coming up? Uh, we have nothing to fear because Christ is our Savior. He is the victor. He's already won the victory. Okay? Now we need to live in it. Uh, we live in a world uh, in North America here where the church is going to become increasingly important. Uh, you know, the idea of the church is that we've already conquered everything. No. The world, the the church, the, our countries have changed and we have more opportunity today than we've had in any other time in history to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. So, we're going to go on from here. Uh, what does it mean to strive? Um, you don't need to look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. But if I said uh, striving, what does it mean to strive? Work hard. Work hard, yeah. I'm glad you said that because uh, I'll tell you, Beth, Beth is a striver. She is not content with the status quo. She pushes you. She just, you know, you're, you're pushed into God's word. You, you're pushed into service. She says oftenly, she says oftenly, she says, I'm not doing enough for the Lord. You know, that's, that's driving. And, she, you know, we all, I benefit from that. Our kids benefit from that because she's a striver. She's going after the Lord. But there's another connotation to striving. What is that is? It's the conflict, striving against. And that's what we have in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, where am I? Uh, we have uh, the word to strive. Uh, the uh, Hebrew word, it means to rule or to judge um, or umpire, to strive to contend, to execute or minister judgment. It is a striving. It is a conflict. Okay? Um, so we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 
and the Spirit of God. The Spirit shall not strive with man forever. So what is that meaning? There's conflict between the Spirit of God and, and with men. So as man created, uh, started to populate and, and to um, populate the earth, there is a conflict between the standards that God says and then you have rebellious men on the other side. Um, so looking at verse chapter, uh, chapter 6, starting at 1, Now it came about when the men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they take wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. They were the mighty men of war, mighty men who were old men of renown. Okay, what is this talking about? Who is this Nephilim? What's happening here? It's not good, right? In fact, it's kind of... Who, who's Nephilim? Who are they? Well, there's a couple of thoughts on who they are. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like Melchizedek, right? Yeah, probably more complicated than Melchizedek. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There is two thoughts. One is the descendants of Seth married the descendants of Cain. Yep. And others believe that they're real angels, but God disputes that, or Jesus disputes it in Matthew, where he talks about um, describing heaven and uh, we don't, uh, or won't be married in heaven. It, yeah. It's be like the angels of God that don't marry. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Jude talks about it too. Yes, I know. So I'm. I don't think it's angel, personally. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like to think of it as, well, what happens is, the, the sons of God, or the Sethite line, comes in and he says, man, this, these, these, these girls are really, yeah, let's, and they go into them, and they have, they, they have children, okay? And these are genetically superior beings, like they're strong kids, like they take, it's like us giving our kids vitamins from when they're, Young, they're, they're mighty men of renown. They couldn't. So this has been happening ever since the beginning of time because these are men of renown. They've been around. I, I, like, the, I like that interpretation also because I can understand it. I don't understand Melchizedek. I don't understand. Where did Job come from? Not only that is, how can Moses go on the top of the mountain for 40 days without a drink of water? Like, what's happening here? Like this, this is supernatural. This is not explainable. I think you're right, though. Okay, so there is this whole idea. Um, we'll keep on going. Yeah, this is what happens. I get so disorganized. Where's my sheet of paper anyway? Have you got one of those sheets? Okay, thank you.
So, next question. What happens when the Spirit of God is removed from the earth? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, remember we talked about the, uh, the uh, Holy Spirit brooding, and the idea is covering and protecting. Uh, when God created the earth, he, the, he created with a protection covering. It's called the firmament. The waters above and the waters below. It is a very different earth, different earth than what we understand today. So what happens when God's spirit is removed? Well, the earth just literally breaks apart. It cracks open just like an egg. Okay, the subterranean waters gush out of the earth. It destroys the firmament above. So they got the waters from above and the waters from below coming up and flooding the earth. As the waters come up there, the, the land masses are pushed apart, okay, folding up the mountains on one side of the continents as they push and, and uh, forming great big gashes in the earth. You can follow that through the oceans of the earth. There's great big holes where, that, uh, where the washer, waters had gushed out. At the same time, the, the firmament is destroyed, and you have the polar ice polars start to freeze instantly, okay, and ice forms, and then it pushes, glaciers go south and pushes the, sub, the topsoil just like a bulldozer does. And when, when it gets done and it starts to melt, you've got waters forming streams and rivers, and it divides up the earth. This is what you call climate change. It is not what the people today are calling climate change. Like, that's what climate change. So what's going to happen in the future? There's going to be a time when the heavens and the earth will be destroyed again. They're all going to be... You're going to talk about global warming then. Okay, anyway, we'll keep on going. So that's what happened when the earth destroyed. Any questions about that? Any? <laughs> I think, too, the Holy Spirit restrains evil. You know, and when the Holy Spirit leaves, man will be... There's no stopping man's evilness. I think this happened right before Noah. The Lord gave him 120 years to repent, and they didn't. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is a restrainer yeah. from evil, for against evil. Okay, so you got the idea of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit in work in this belief with the believers. We are the salt of the earth, eh? What if the salt has lost its favor? Wherewith will we be salted again, okay? Uh, we're about ready to wrap up for today. I've talked enough anyway. So, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God uh, uh, left and departed. And we got the destruction of the world. When did the Holy Spirit return? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is a trick question. I don't think the Spirit of God ever uh, fully departed. When Noah came back and built the altar. When Noah came back and built the altar, that's one. Did yeah. The Christ Spirit. He must leave for the comforter to cover the Holy Spirit. Yes, this is John. Uh, I think that's our reference that we had in there, John 16, verse 7. Yes, he must go. Uh, but at that time, specifically, what we're talking about 
is uh, the church, with the church. Uh, you know, I'm going to, uh, we had the Lord Jesus Christ at the beginning of the church. And he says, I go, and if I go, I'm going to send somebody. And he's going to teach you, guide you, do all the things. So that's where he is given to the church. I think in the Old Testament he was there. Certainly he was there with the prophets and with, with the patriarchs. Certainly he, he was active. You read the Psalms, it tells you that he was active. But specifically in these last days, he's given to the church. Because... Yeah, picture the Trinity, too, when Christ spoke to him. Mm-hmm. So evident. Mm-hmm. Okay, what does it mean? I'm going to go on real quick. What does it mean to grieve the Spirit? We've got five minutes I want to... The reference that I gave there is... Okay. A person grieves. The Holy Spirit can't be a power, it's a person. Yeah. You can't grieve a power. You can grieve a person. Yeah. So, uh, grieve is, uh, I don't suppress something like that. Grieve the Spirit. If we can grieve the Spirit, uh, it would be not doing what the Spirit wants us to. If a yeah. person grieves the Spirit that isn't saved, maybe that's a sin on the death. I'm not. Okay. Okay, when you grieve the Spirit, what you do is you disappoint. You want to say something, don't you? I can see no. you. are taking a breath. Okay. No, I'm still... I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm just thinking, I, I will say something quickly, just about the last... Because we got to be careful when we say that the Spirit of God leaves the earth, because God is omnipresent. Roles do change in the Old and New Testament. The Spirit would come on the saints, empower the saints with the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the role has changed, but we're sealed now by the Spirit of God. That was the promise of Christ in John chapter 14. Yes. And now the believer is sealed with the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if the Spirit somehow, some way, isn't in, informed and knows what's happening on this planet. The role has changed in the New Testament in the Church of Jesus Christ, that now that because Christ has left us, we are not comfortless. We have that spirit that abides with us and will stay with us um, because we're sealed onto the day of redemption. That's our down payment. Yeah. So I, I think the role thing has to just at least be described in that way because it, it, I think sometimes people think, well, the spirit's just gone. The spirit's not no. gone because God is in control of everything. It's a role that we have to determine between the Old and New Testament. That's why David can pray, don't let your spirit leave me. He leaves Saul. Uh, Samson's the same way, we see that, but certainly he's actively involved with planning. Yeah. You're going to say something? Uh, much along the same theme is that um, um, we have five physical senses, but we also have spiritual senses too, which is granted by God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, and I was just listening to uh, MacArthur talk about this, uh, when he talks about the, the wrath of, of abandonment, God abandons a society or a nation when the society nation first abandons him, leaving us to our own demise. Mm-hmm. But going back to what I was before about the uh, disappointment aspect of the grieving of the spirit, I, my take on that was you know, on, the line, the, on the lines of uh, he wants us to be obedient to him so that he can bless us. We, but he's sovereign, so he's not going to bless us if we, are, yep. if we disobey. So we grieve him because he has to bless us. Yeah, Christ says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right. So the idea, we don't keep his commandments. You know, if we get involved in the world, there's so many ways of doing it. In that list, if you read that section, if you read before and after, he gives a list of things that grieves the Holy Spirit. And it's all in line. If you could say something. I've been looking for a verse where Jesus says to the disciples, 
the Spirit uh, is with you, but shall be in you. you know, mm -hmm. The difference between, you know, what, what we read about uh, yeah. when, when in Romans when it says, you know, we'll be raised in a new life, you know, with the Spirit entering us. Um, I think I think that that yeah. being said, then with the Spirit in us, we can grieve Him by by yeah. So coming back to both your ideas, the Spirit of God will abide in us, and I see. Here's the whole idea about the Trinity again. Uh, you know, He abides in the Father. The Father abides in me. I, you know, like we are part of. We become one. Okay. Uh, what does it mean to quench the Spirit? Quick. You know what? You, yeah. You lick your you lick your fingers and you go to a flame and you go like this. You quench it. It stops. So what happens? The power of the Spirit is not available. How many churches are there in North America now that have quenched the Spirit and are ineffective? Okay, next week, if you let me do it one more time. I, I've changed everything. Like, you know, this, I, I wasn't going to give this lesson. I was going to give another one that's going to be out in somewhere, maybe in the future. But anyway, next week we'll talk about renewing. What is effective ministry? Quick. What is blasphemy of the spirit? I think an unsaved person uh, is convicted and refuses to repent and receive Christ as their savior. I think that's the sin under death. Yeah. Uh, in the situation, okay, Jesus heals a man, and uh, they said, and the Pharisees they don't like it because it was Sabbath, you know, all that's trouble. So, and then he says, uh, he says he doesn't cast out the spirit. By the Spirit of God is by Beelzebub. So what is he doing? What's blasphemy? He's saying the Spirit of God is the devil. And you know, you got an age, we are living in an age today where good is bad and bad is good. That is the sin of blasphemy of the Spirit. Okay, you look that up in the references there. I think we're at the end. We went quickly on the last, uh, but uh, we've got a plan for next week, if that's okay with you guys. Next week we're going to talk about the, a little bit of involving the Spirit in our ministry and in our lives. And we're going to look at the spiritual gifts once more. Thank you.